This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Two men from different generations, both alive with the fierce urgency of the fight for personal freedom and democracy, both living in exile with no idea whether they can ever return home. I'm David Taylor, and this week on the Slow News Podcast, we've been talking to Dr. Tung Biao and Simon Cheng, two men who have paid a price for daring to challenge China's ruling Communist Party. As China uses the COVID-19 pandemic to crack down even further on dissent, we wanted to find out about President Xi's apparatus of suppression, the formidable machinery of state control. And we wanted to know, what is it like to be one of the disappeared? Slow News is a podcast made by us here at Tortoise. We're a news publisher, in an app, online, in our daily Sensemaker email, and, as you already know, in podcasts. What's different about us is that we investigate what's driving the news, and we'd love for you to join us. By becoming a member of our newsroom, you'll get access to our journalism, and you can join our open news meetings and help decide what matters in the world and how we should report it. To get access to all of Tortoise, all you have to do is download our app and take the free trial. Go to tortoisemedia.com forward slash pod trial and help make the news. So I'm joined today by Tung Biao. Dr. Biao, how are you? And can you tell everyone where you're calling from today? I live in Princeton, New Jersey from the United States. Where did you grow up? I was born in poor village in uh, Jilin province, northeast China. I went to Peking University, actually the number one university in China. And I got my uh, PhD in 2002. And then I became lecturer at a university based in Beijing. And what was your specialism? I taught jurisprudence, law and society, and uh, law and literature and constitutional law. So basically, legal theories. Right. And and was it was it a reasonably open environment in which to study and teach? It's kind of interesting. Before I went to the university, I was brainwashed 
And, and then I got opportunity to read books and uh, I met some independent thinking professors. And then I realized I uh, had been cheated by the Communist Party's propaganda. And then I decided to become a, a scholar and human rights activist. Almost every scholar, every teacher had to practice self-censorship. But I'm kind of exception. I uh, didn't practice self-censorship. I discussed all the sensitive issues with my students, and I uh, became a human rights lawyer, and I was dealing with many uh, politically sensitive cases. Did that make you um, feel like you were a target for uh, the Chinese government? Yeah, yeah. So I was very critical of the Chinese government, the Communist Party, and the political system. And, and then I was involved in many political cases, and I organized a, a couple of human rights organizations in Beijing. So I, of course, became the target of the government, and I, because of my work, I was banned from teaching and eventually uh, fired by the university. Wow. How did you respond to that? I have to follow my own principle, my own conscience. And I think it's very important to promote human rights and rule of law in China. And there was kind of space, even though it, it's risky. And, and uh, the human rights activists and political dissidents uh, face uh, harassment and the persecution from time to time. And uh, many of my friends were detained and, and tortured. But um, I feel it's my duty to do the human rights work. Can you tell me about the first time you were arrested? Like a few months before Beijing Olympics in 2008, I was trying to defend a human rights activist. And, and then I also wrote uh, a lot of articles criticizing Beijing's human rights situation, especially before uh, Olympics. And then I was kidnapped suddenly by the, the secret police just uh, near my home in Beijing. And then they detained me for two days and two nights and they interrogated me. Just take me back a little step there. So what what time of day was it and what was the circumstance in which you were kidnapped? I went back from bookstore and I immediately after I parked my car, like near, near my apartment, and then four or five people called my name and then they grasped me and, and pushed me into a car and and then I was screaming and I was screaming and I called for help and loudly but they very quickly put me into their car and covered my mouth my, and, and covered my, my head with a hood and then and then I was sent to kind of hotel. I, I didn't know where where it was. So it's it's not a rest. It's not a, a formal detention. It's it's kidnap. It's a disappearance. Okay. 
And was that, did you think, a calculated move to try and frighten you into silence? Yeah. And I, I knew it's not an ordinary crime because they printed my articles, my interviews, and all their interrogations were related to my articles and, and my, uh, my cases, the, the human rights cases I was dealing with. So, so apparently they want to use that kind of abduction to punish me and to silence me. Yeah, were, were, were you physically um, manhandled? Were you, were you hurt during the interrogation? During the abduction, they, they hurt me, but not seriously. And they intimidated me and they told me they can charge me with incitement of states of aversion and they can sentence me for uh, five years. And if I'm understanding this correctly, you, you were detained for two days. It got much worse for you about three years later than that, in 2011. Can you just tell me what the, the mood was like in China at that time and, and the circumstances leading up to your arrest? Yeah. So I was frequently put under house arrest and I was disbarred and my passport was confiscated, but I didn't give up. I continued my human rights work and I continue to write a lot of articles critical of the, the party. So they, in 2011, they kidnapped me again. Uh, the background is the Jasmine Revolution in Egypt and Tunisia, and somebody was calling for a similar protest in mainland China. And, and they uh, listed um, some protest support of many major cities, and they called for people uh, going to protest on February 28, 2011. And one day before that day, I was kidnapped by Chinese secret police. And this time they detained me for 70 days. 70 days? 70, yeah. And they tortured me. So they, they slapped my face uh, 50, 60 times. And I was deprived of sleep for a few days. And I was forced to sit down on the floor facing the wall and taking that position if i moved a little bit they would beat me and i was forced to wear uh, handcuffs uh, a pair of uh, handcuffs 24 7. so that 70 days uh, was kind of extreme form of solitary confinement How did you hold yourself together in that time? It's, it's very difficult because I was not allowed to, to read, to write, uh, to, to call my family, to call my lawyer, to do anything. So I was deprived of any human information. So I had to go over the books I read, so the, the songs, the... the oh, in your memory. Oh, yeah, wow. yes. And... And to keep my, to actually, uh, I tried my best to prevent me from being uh, insane. And I, I even wrote a couple of novels in my 
memory. So it's it's difficult. That's an extraordinary thing. Did you actually know where you were and did you have any sense what might happen to you? That's the hardest part. You know, 70 days for a political prisoner is not a long time. But, but if you didn't know how long they were going to detain you, and if you were intimidated every day, and if you were tortured, so that 70 days can be a nightmare. So I, I felt it's very, very long. And they never told you how long you would be uh, released. And this time they also told me uh, they might sentence me to 10 years. And, and for one time, they were transferring me from one detention place to another. And I was so scared. I was thinking they might be killing me. Because, you know, the background is Jasmine Revolution. And, and the, the, the government thought that we uh, human rights lawyers and activists planned a protest overthrowing the government. And, you know, and if that's true and, and, and the, the, the Chinese government would not be hesitating to, to kill the, the protesters, the, the dissidents. So I was so scared. Dr. Tang was released, but it was into an increasingly hostile environment. They forced me to, to write some, some confessions, and I will not write any articles criticizing the, the Chinese Communist Party. He continued his activism, which caused him to move to Hong Kong to escape the Chinese police. But five years ago, even that proved too risky and he fled to America. Yeah, it's, uh, for me, it's very dangerous if I go to Hong Kong. Yeah, I never stopped my, my criticism against the Chinese government, and I, I've done a lot of human rights work based in the United States, so, so Hong Kong is not safe anymore for people like me. The past few years have seen tensions rise in Hong Kong. There's a new generation of activists seized with the same passion and courage. Well, I'm just a very usual, um, ordinary people who supports democracy. And still facing the same state oppression. I've been stopped by the border force, by the immigration officers, and I keep asking what's the reason it's not me. And then they said, oh, it's just based on these linear instruction by our senior leaders. They even they don't know what's going on. And I've been stopped for a while and they delivered me back uh, to Shenzhen and handed over to a bunch of plainclothes officers. They show no badges at that time and becomes very, very rude to me. This kind of reporting's hard. We're dealing with fragments of facts and trying to build a picture. So it's important to find multiple accounts to corroborate and reinforce. This is Simon Cheng a Hong Kong citizen who worked at the British consulate. But after he took part in last year's democracy protests, he found himself arrested while he was on a business trip in China. And I kept asking why the reason, and then they said, shut up, shut, shut up. It's not the time you speak. And then they put me on the police car and delivered me to one of the police stations and start the 
horrible interrogation. So I've been put into the stew cell, very, very small cell, and they put me on the tiger chair. I would say like tiger chair is like a very cold um, um, stew chair. And they, they have a bar in front of your stomach and that would be buckled up. You have been handcuffed and attached on the bar so you cannot move at all. Um, they gave no reason still. And until they asked a question saying, what do you think about Hong Kong? Wow. I'm just, you know, so shocked because the, I, I, I know they start to ask a political question. And they said, whether you join the protest, what crime do you commit? Please confess. And what's the, the roles behind the protest? And who and who you know could join the protest? I, I'm just like, I'm just out of my imagination, you know. I've never ever been detained, been interrogated. That is the first experience. Mm. How did it feel? Very intimidating. I'm very worried about my future because they gave no reason, they showed no badges, and they, they wear no uniform. So, so it made me feel all the time so informal. Yeah. Did they use physical force against you? Afterwards, yes. The first few days, still okay. And then they would just try to threaten you. And they would deliver me from PlayStation A to B to C, trying to extend the detention period. And then they keep asking me to give them the passcode of the iPhone. And I reject because that's... Oh, really? Yeah. That is where from contains some sensitive information about the consulate and internal information. So I always re- reiterate that um, I'm the star of the consulate and I was on the business trip. So it's based on the VR. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. On a convention, I cannot give you what you want because that is about mm. my work. 
And were, were you able to have any contact with the outside world at this point? Uh, totally blocked out. Man, it must have been really terrifying. Yes, not only me, and also my family members and my girlfriends. They are very worried about me, just disappear. The people got missing. Um, and, and they keep asking me for a passport, and even saying, said, um, how, why would you loyal to the UK government? You are Chinese. Why do you have to keep the secret for the UK government? Just give us the passport, et cetera, et cetera. And I said, well, my phone now has been confiscated, and, you, and that's on your hand. You can just simply access it, use it other, any other way. You don't need my passport, I would say. It's because like, I couldn't break my ethic code as the staff of the consulate. I couldn't do it. How many days did you ultimately um, get held for? I have, been, I have been held for 15 days. 15 days. And, but for me, it seems like for life. Uh, because you never ever could know that is the fear. That they can detain you indefinitely. Because never ever I would say, after 15 days, you can be let out. Because they would say, we will increasingly charge you more and find more excuse to detain you. So that's the, that's the, that's the way I feel very scared. Yes, and could you, could you understand wh- wh- why they released you in the end? Well, I guess it's because that's for three reasons. The first is that um, the UK government definitely, they tried to negotiate with the Chinese government. And from top down, that some senior officials knew about it and asked what possibly they want to change the mindset, etc. And that is the diplomatic pressures, as they say. The second one is that I shown quite cooperative attitude. Um, I'm trying to be trying to be cooperative. And the third one is that some protesters, actually the Hong Kong people, um, they quite support my case. They they even had to protest outside of the consulate. And even at that time, they even scheduled to surround the police station in Shenzhen. And, and so tell me, that was August last year, I think, wasn't it? When did you feel that you needed to get out? It's almost immediately. When I back to Hong Kong, I would feel, you know, the pressure is just lit up. I would feel that's a huge difference at that time. Previously, when I just went for work, for business trip, I would feel, hmm, Shenzhen and Hong Kong is something similar, getting more and more similar. But now, after the ordeal I've been experienced, I still feel Hong Kong was free of law at that time. So, but I still feel unsafe because when I've been let out, when I've been before, just right before I've been let out, the, the staff, the secret police, and even the staff who are working for the State Council of Hong Kong and the Cow Office warned me if I speak out, if I speak anything other than soliciting prostitutions, they claim, they frame me up, and I've been detained, I've been abducted from Hong Kong to mainland China again. I suppose the, absolutely the most positive thing we can say is that you're safe now, um, but do you um, have concerns still for your family, your girlfriend in Hong Kong? Yeah, um, fortunately, my girlfriend came with me. So we're living together, but um, I cannot take care with my family members, especially my parents. My parents are actually getting old and now at the retirement age. So um, I'm a little bit worried about them. And I have no choice but need to cut ties, especially those secret police now come to Hong Kong. 
So I don't want her to let them to be a hostage and try to manipulate me and also try to get the information or the status about me with them. So I need to cut time. This is a puzzle. I don't know how to solve in this moment. As we've just heard, Simon Cheng has only just been granted asylum in the UK. He's safe in London. But in Hong Kong, the story of the state versus the activists is still unfolding. And there's a new front in China's battle to control its people. My colleague Giles Wattel has been looking beyond the health emergency of COVID-19 to see what has happened during the pandemic to human rights in China. Giles, I just wanted to start by asking you about Dr. Tung and his case. Is it an exception? The short answer is no. The numbers of people in his position, human rights lawyers and activists who've really stuck their necks out, as it were, who have been disappeared, has increased steadily in the course of Xi Jinping's time in power, that is since 2012, and particularly since the 709 crackdown of July 2015. But as I found uh, reporting this story, the numbers are bigger than simply the numbers of known human rights activists and lawyers. The police themselves have boasted of penalising, if not actually arresting, more than 5,000 people for disseminating what they call misinformation to do with COVID. 5,000? Hang on, 5,000 in the COVID moment? Yes, in in, in sort of this this year, in the last few months alone. Which I think speaks very eloquently to the the broader strategy of intimidation – in in a country of 1.4 billion, ideally you don't have to arrest everybody to scare everybody. And I think that's why the police are actually publicising these figures. It, it seems like there was a there was a window of opportunity, which which perhaps in their thousands, what we might think of as citizen journalists, have taken advantage of. And it seemed to boil down to this: that the the Chinese authorities rather lost their grip and an opening was there and people began to use their technology to report on what they could see. Absolutely. So this period seems to have straddled January and then the early part of February when, as you say, citizens and particularly medics or people seeing the way the virus impacted the hospitals in Wuhan, their instinct was to publicise it, to share that information. And actually not not for the purposes of political subversion, but to save lives and get the word out that this was serious. And you're right, it, it does seem that the regime was wrong-footed. Most of those whom I've spoken to about this seem to think that the regime was wrong-footed, uh, a good deal of this could have been because of the instinct of local party officials in, in the Wuhan area to suppress the release of information so that good information was not even getting to Beijing. But certainly th- there was that upsurge of, of citizen journalism and then the crackdown. So they're back in charge with a vengeance, I think you um, yes memorably right. Definitely. And those best known cases that that I focused on in the piece we we don't know where they are 
And disappeared really does mean disappeared. And those who have been disappeared are being held under what they call residential detention in a designated location, which is a sort of ridiculous euphemism for being fully incommunicado, no contact with friends, family or lawyers, no electronic communication of any kind. In some cases, an indication via intermediaries of where they're being held um, so that one might know the city, for example. But other than that, it, 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 they're properly disappeared. And that is, a, again, a part of a strategy of intimidation, which seems to be working. Right. And, and when, when we spoke with Dr. Tung, he gave us a harrowing account of 70 days in detention and the fact that he was handcuffed and he was put in stress positions. He was tortured. Do we know anything about the, the, what's happening to those people? Uh, we don't. Human rights activists who cover this every day say they are all likely to be at least vulnerable to psychological and physical torture of the kind that Dr. Teng described. We don't know what's happening to them. And it, it should be said, I mean, the, the, the case of Li Jiehua is is interesting. He is the one who had a profile and a job with state TV. In other words, he was a he was an official state-approved journalist before the pandemic, went rogue, as it were, shortly after the pandemic took hold, was disappeared and has since reappeared and given what seems to be a coerced confession on TV. And from what he says, he wasn't mistreated at all. It's very hard to know on what terms he, he was released, but he went out of his way to say that the police... Uh, took care of him, fed him, this kind of thing. It's extremely hard to know whether the others are being held in in humane circumstances and only still being held because they're refusing to confess or whether they're being treated more as Tang was. Yes, yes. Which which I suppose, so, so we know it... We know a little, we know fragments, uh, we know meaningful things about circumstances of detention. What do we know about the the apparatus of suppression? How, how, how industrial is it? It's huge. The comparison that I was trying to reach for was, on a per capita basis, how many Chinese are involved in this apparatus compared with perhaps the most famous in the history of repression, that is the Stasi of of East Germany. That number is very hard to come by. But the Public Security Bureau that ha- has supervisory responsibilities for, well, that runs the police and sort of monitors the front line of this apparatus of repression is said to have 850,000 human informants in Beijing alone. And Professor Minchin Pei was describing to me not just uh, one, but four, perhaps five layers of informants nationwide. The core informants who are on the payroll of the Public Security Bureau, another layer that he described as outer core informants who might monitor every class in every university, for example, or or, or workplaces. Neighbourhood committees whose purpose is also to inform Uh, semi-civic organisations he described them as, and then at least one more layer, depending on which part of China and and, and the level of civic 
social tensions, which which can include contractors, as Dr. Tung describes them, or part-time police who you might you might think of as vigilantes or just muscle. So so the apparatus is huge, and you should of course remember that it is well rocket fueled, as I put it in the piece, by technology. Nowhere uses cameras, facial recognition technology, voice recognition technology, and even gate recognition technology like China. So yes, if they can't identify people's faces in a crowd, they can even recognise them by the way they walk. In principle, yes. It's not clear whether this technology is sort of properly road tested yet. But we do know, of course, that they've got this huge laboratory for testing all kinds of information control technology and technology to control people out in Xinjiang in Western China, where between where at least one million Uyghurs, uh, the local Muslim ethnic minority, have been detained in huge purpose-built facilities. And in our thinking, some speakers said that that figure could be as high as three million. I have to, just to finish, let's just try and, if we can find some glimmer of optimism. Is there anything in your reporting that's given you hope or inspiration? Yes. I mean, this um, brief flourishing of free speech and very determined sharing of the best information that people could find, medics and citizens in and around Wuhan in uh, January, in the early part of February, showed that habits of communication and sharing information may be being suppressed, but they're, they're not being destroyed. Given the slightest chance and a, a very compelling reason to take risks by sharing information, thousands of people did. That's a great source of, um, of hope, I think. Giles, thank you so much for joining us this week. And I really think it's uh, of tremendous value that you've dug into all of this to give us an understanding of something which is shaping China right now. And I think it's probably right that we both thank uh, all of those brave souls who've spoken with Tortoise this week. Indeed. Thank you, Dave. And thanks to them too. And I think it's probably right that we should give the the last word this week in the podcast to um, Dr. Tong Biao. I found it incredibly humbling to speak with him this week. Many Chinese activists don't give up. They will not give up. It's more risky. It's very difficult time. But uh, the Chinese activists are still thinking about the, the possibilities, the, the strategies and the skills uh, to uh, to promote human rights in China. And they cherish the value of freedom and human dignity. And, and they, they, they will not give up. Uh, yeah, we we will have to experience all the atrocities in the coming years. But I really believe that this kind of political system will not uh, prevail. Thanks for listening today. If you've enjoyed the podcast, then I think there's a really good chance that you'll also, like a lot of the other stuff we do at Tortoise, there's a load of articles that you can read online. And because we're an open newsroom, there are tons of meetings that you can go to and you can help shape our journalism 
and the stories that we tell from wherever you are in the world. All you need to do is get our app. Just go to tortoisemedia.com forward slash pod trial for our 30-day free trial. And of course, if you like this podcast, share it or give us a review or just tell somebody about it. Thanks for listening and see you next week. Hong Kong is not just means a place or a city. It's about those bunch of people who love democracy and freedom. So wherever we we walk or we we are, we still think and we believe that one day we'll be back to our hometown with democracy and freedom. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, I'm John Curtis. And I'm Rachel Wolfe. This week on Trendy, the monarchy. A year after the coronation, and as King Charles returns to work, what do we think of it? And how has that changed over time? To listen to the episode, search for Trendy on Tortoise News, wherever you get your podcasts, and follow the feed to make sure you don't miss an episode.